Yeah, on behalf of the tiny fish off the coast of California that we give all our water to, yes, it's time to give up. Also, it was really wordy, so just in case we're not in compliance with the executive order on combating race and sex stereotyping, I should warn you, I mentioned white privilege in this episode, I'm pretty (gasps) sure. Right? (laughs) I'm sure we'll say something else just as bad or worse, but it's okay, we don't have any government contracts. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. And this is Pump Up the Minute. We're here today to talk about minutes 57 through 60 of Pump Up the Volume, which start uh, with Crestwood freaking out in the alcove because Joey and Donald have turned on the Diva remix over the PA system. And yeah, that's where we left off last time. We've got Mark here. He's just kind of watching the chaos. Yeah, there there is a moment because he's, he's behind the pillar watching. There's a moment where he seems to enjoy it. Yeah. Mostly he's kind of panicking, but there's a moment where he's like, huh, like this, this is cool. <laughs> like I did something. And we get multiple shots of that hilarious poster in between. They keep cutting back to. Which? The bionic? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we show Deaver, he comes, runs out of his guidance, his guidance office, freaking out. You see the bionic poster. And then we get, uh, Crestwood and Murdoch run off. Inside the office, they meet up with Moore and Stern, and either Donna or Dana, and I would just like to say that Alan Moyle has a weird fetish for D names, yeah. which is Denny, is Danny, is Donnie, is Donna, and is Dana. But I'm not sure she even says anything, because Moore and Stern say the line, so who cares? They're trying to turn off the uh, PA system, and they can't. I think it's hilarious that we have the adults who don't know how to deal with technology. Mm-hmm. Such like the even in 1990, <laughs> yeah, a complicated PA system. It is a pretty complex system they have in front of them. It's a whole board of lights and switches, and I guess for an entire school, maybe they can switch off specific rooms or whatever. But yeah, Crestwood says shut it off, shut shut off the whole system. Moore says we can't, and Crestwood says shut off the whole, shut down the whole school, which. um we don't get the line in the PA announcement later, but yes, they end school for the day at this point. <laughs> they give up, which I don't think school started yet. Who knows? There are times for school and for class periods oh, and days. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't know what time of day it is. <laughs> they just go to school when they're not at home eating weird dinners, but we'll yeah. get to that later. <laughs> um, and so, and so kids are enjoying it and the remix over the PA. We keep getting shots of the PA speaker. In the script, Deaver tries to pull down one of the speakers. But he doesn't do the movie. Uh, Donald and Joey are very excited. They have a really awkward double high five where they hit once and then try to fix it. Cause they're, they're proud of what they've done. And then we cut to, uh, outside the school, right outside the front by the HHH on the wall. Where Shep Shepard is getting out of his truck, getting ready to do a report, and Maz approaches. Yeah, so this part here, like Shep Shepard, alright Randy, we'll set up in front of the Triple H, and just thinking about the role of the media, so you have the authoritarian school that doesn't know how to run things, you have the resistance that naturally comes from that, and then you have the media who just wants 
ratings recording the whole thing, but then you also have Maz, who represents, like, the followers or the fans. He mm-hmm. kind of wants the fame here. Yeah. Reminded me of, like, someone on Instagram watching or, like, posting yeah. about something. <laughs> he also has something to say. He just has no idea how to actually say it. Oh, yeah. Plenty of people have things to say on Instagram, too. I was just thinking about the different roles of, of like, media and these in- interactions with authority and then the resistance and then the media and then the response to the media. The the script calls him ridiculous and that he can't get any respect (laughs) because he's trying to, but he's he's not good at it. Which when you light off smoke bombs in front of the reporter, you're trying to get to talk to you. It's probably not the best system. Yeah. Or when you're wearing a shirt that says, what the fuck are you looking at? Because I don't (laughs) think they can put that on. TV, but <laughs> he could cover it with his vest. Yeah, um, yeah, and the the shirt is is scripted that he has a shirt that says that, which was funny when I saw that. Uh, but yeah, he tries. Maz tries to get the attention of Shep Shepard, who does pay attention. Gets the cameraman to follow mm-hmm. him. And says, "You're the TV guy, right? You want to interview me? Because you know I was listening the first night he was on. I'm like amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to go here, you know, but they kicked me out for no reason. You know what I'm saying? He sets off three smoke bombs." <laughs> Which then he points out are the school colors, which he calls instant pep rally. Uh, then he gets weird. He, he like crouches down into the smoke and he's like, geez, the smog's getting worse and worse in this town. <laughs> and so they're filming, right? They get a shot of Murdoch in the smoke coming up behind him, grabbing him and dragging him away. But instead of saying like, oh, we just saw the student get grabbed by an administrator. No. Shep steps into the smoke. Straightens his tie and says, this is Shep Shepard reporting live from deep in the smoke at Hubert Humphrey High. <laughs> Just wants his story. And then we go to Crestwood's office as Murdoch brings in Maz. And I got stuck for a little while here because you can see this weird engraving thing on the wall. And I ended up going off in a weird internet dive in the wrong direction. Yeah, did you find it? I did find it. It is uh, an engraving by George Bickham of a song called Handsome Patty or The mm-hmm. Corn Rigs Are Bonnie. Not to be confused with The Corn Rigs Are Bonnie by uh, Robert Burns, which is more famous. It's really dumb. It's basically a little love song. But the thing is George Bickham was famous for promoting penmanship and specifically a specific looping kind of penmanship that became commonplace in engravings and then teaching, which I think is why it's in a school office. And it may have been just hanging on the wall in the office where they filmed. But, yeah, it's it's just a love poem. Um, but George Bickham was, he's best known for his engraving work called The Universal Penman, which was a collection of writing exemplars which helped to popularize the English roundhand script. There's some other sheet music on the wall as, as well, but just sheet music, hard to identify. This had a picture on top. Uh, Murdoch brings Maz in, tells him to sit down. And Maz just kind of casually says, so anybody mind if I smoke? <laughs> I love his attitude. He's such a weird character. Yeah. Because he also gets like emotional toward the end of this scene. Kind of. The actor's having fun. And Christian says, you do understand you're expelled, Mr. Mazzilli. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> to which Gresswood responds, I can quite legally expel you. Yeah. So uh. her word choice here, flaunting her legal power. So apparently teens don't even have a right to education. Yeah, which is what brought me to lean on me, which is why, yeah. <laughs> why I watched it. They the, kicked him out for a 
dress code when even if you're wearing a shirt that says what the fuck are you looking at and you have another shirt just have the kid turn it inside Mm -hmm. out or have a kid you don't need to kick a kid out of school over a dress code violation but speaking of lean on me do you want to talk about that Uh, (laughs) yeah i I wrote about this in my blog years ago and i was reminded of it reading watching this segment because joe clark basically kicked students out for whatever excuse he could find didn't even find excuses with some. He's just like, they're drug dealers. Kick them out. Yeah. Does he have any evidence? And, yeah. Did he have evidence? No. Did he think this? he needed it? No. That, and the movie's even worse because it's it suggests that he kicked 300 students out in one day. Yeah, out of 3,000. It actually so. took him the whole school year to get to 300. But. Which is 10% of the population. Even more ridiculous, all 300 of them are were there. Crouched, crushed yeah. together on a stage well, there. The movie's version is they all of. want to be there. That's why yeah. he has to chain the doors later is to keep out those drug dealers because all they want to do is get back in the school. And if those drug dealers want an education that damn bad, then they should get an education. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know who needs the education more? Is it Maz and the drug dealers or is it Paige? And uh, I don't know, any of the other... <sighs> That movie was ridiculous on so many levels, and I just can't, well, I can believe because Trump is president, but how many people just think that's like the greatest film yeah. ever, and he's like the greatest guy. Meanwhile, all he does is scream at people for two straight hours and use every single racial, sexist, and mm-hmm. ethnic stereotype. And, about- and, the, and the movie keeps having these scenes where people finally tell him off, and it's like, there's this lingering on his face, like he he starts to get it. No, the movie just keeps siding with him, and he keeps getting worse. Also, he seems confused, like he just can't understand why nobody would love and appreciate his running around screaming at them horribly all day long. It's, it's all <laughs> fine because he knows the students' names. See, mm. he goes to their house as teachers do in teacher movies. It's a it's a cliche of teacher films, but yeah, that was 1989. And the bad prisoner, bad prisoner, <laughs> the bad principal kicking students out was the hero of the film. A year later, we get <laughs> pump up the volume where the bad principal is rightly so the villain of the film <laughs> because you don't just kick people out away from education for no reason. And East Side High didn't get better. That was the movie. I forget it's set in the mid eighties. Yeah. In 89, after the film came out, he got kicked out of the school because he, he allowed like dancers to dance down to G strings in front of the high school students and the, it, his own boss, played by Robert Gilman in the movie, who's his friend, kicks him out. And so he tried teaching some other gets, things and he went away <laughs> eventually. He, that he gets kicked out for that. I'd say that's definitely not even wouldn't even be on the top 10 list of horrible no. things. Right. <laughs> and, well, it's extra funny because when this, when this event happened, he wasn't on campus because he was in LA promoting the film because he was very much involved with the film. The, the promotional materials referred to Eastside High as a cauldron of, what was it? A oh, cal- yeah. Cauldron of violence. Yeah. Cauldron was, of violence. Yeah. Which sources claimed, uh, what came from an official, do- oh no, it's in the opening crawl on the, in the movie. It says it's from an official report. No, it's from something that Joe Clark himself said. So the guy who claims he did this great thing by kicking out all these students is the one who is the only evidence we have that the school was that bad. Thanks. The reason why white people love this film is it's 
like every imagined horror that anyone who's never <laughs> set foot in a city school would imagine that a school in like yeah. their quote, not my word, inner city would look like. And having gone to a racially diverse, mostly black city school, that is, it was just, I couldn't even take the film seriously because it was so ridiculous. Like, Public schools you don't go in aren't spray painted from top to bottom with everybody running around and everybody beating each other up six on one in bathroom. And it was like every horror story that maybe ever happened in a public school just all visually happening at the same at time, time on top of each hallway, other yeah. so that you have this completely racist, classist idea of what this, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even. And then it was just, I was counting like the stereotypes that were used and there were like multiple in one sentence. I couldn't even keep track of them anymore. <laughs> and of course, like other uh, school films in the eighties, it all hinged on them doing well on a, some standardized tests. Right. Which is the other thing, even if his tactics led to increased test scores, one, that's going to be a short lived when, if you even want to call it that, I wouldn't. That's not any meaningful change that's going to last, and it's not anything that's going to make a difference in the lives of the kids or improve the community or improve their lives. The fact that you can completely bully someone into possibly higher test scores for a year, who cares? Like, So even if you get the result that you desire, does it even matter? And, and he didn't. The year yeah. the movie came out, there they only thirty three percent of the school passed. Yeah. So they didn't well, even achieve. Big it. shocker! Yelling at people and yelling racial slurs and telling people to get off welfare and blaming teenage girls for getting pregnant. I don't know. Like, what do you think's going to happen? And in two thousand nine, um, this is from NorthJersey dot com. East Side High, that school, had to actually add new security measures because they were still having problems. Uh, and I, I got copy this paragraph because it's a good interesting thing. The administrators are responding and will start installing cameras inside Eastside Friday, said Superintendent Donnie W. Evans. Violence is rising at Eastside with an unusually large number of incidents, student on student, Evans said. In addition to the security cameras, which will monitor the nearly 25 exit doors, the school will increase police presence inside and outside the school long term. Evans intends to open two new alternative schools for some of Eastside's most challenging students a place where they can learn better social and behavioral skills. Until we can control them, we can't teach them, he said. <sighs> and everything that we know and have studied about power in the past 60 years says that that's completely wrong and not mm -hmm. the way to go about it. French and Raven's 1959 theories of social power, they specifically looked at five major bases of power, defining power in terms of psychological change within a person, any altercation of the state of some system over time. And they were looking specifically at how teachers, so this is related to education, how teachers interact with students, and first, referent power, that's like credibility. So if a student views the teacher as credible or as a role model, Expert power referring to that teacher's superior knowledge. So the ability of a teacher to socially influence a student's cognitive learning. Reward power. So if we're choosing to reward specific 
behaviors. So let's say teacher reinforcement grades type of thing they put on the walls of classrooms that, you know, yay, you did a good job. You get a sticker today. Um, coercive power, which occurs when they believe that the authority or the teacher has the ability to punish them. So calling out students for misbehaving in class and legitimate power, just essentially believing because of the title as professor that the teacher has the right to influence their behavior and dozens of studies since then. I study this in grad school, so <laughs> for like dozens of, of studies that have used um, French and Raven's theories of social power and all of them, I can safely say at least 95% of them, I don't want to say all because usually there's some outlier study, yeah. <laughs> but all of the studies that I read said that when teachers try to alter students' behavior through coercive power, students are more likely to resist and respond defiantly. It's the worst type of power to use if you want any sort of meaningful outcome, which 80 years of research show that the way that principal ran that high school was going to have deleterious effects. Yeah. It's not going to to go well. And not only that, the, the more often that teachers use coercive power to try to alter the behavior of students, the more likely they are to blame their teacher and to unite with other students to essentially try to overthrow or go against the teacher. <laughs> so not that surprisingly, teachers in this study said that they rarely use this, like they see other teachers using this power, but they don't use it themselves. No, <laughs> and no antisocial behavioral alteration techniques were perceived to positively influence student behavior like at all, like the results of these studies, and they've been since then in the 80s. So a lot of these studies were conducted in the 80s, but they've been studying this for 60 years, and it doesn't work. <laughs> Just one more thing on Lean on Me is it should be a satire. Yes, it should that's be. <laughs> it should be a film proving that those tactics don't work, and instead they fictionalize the ending so his students all stand up for him when he chains the doors, which he didn't do. He chained them once, was told that was illegal, and took the chains off. His students did march on the school board, but it was later. It was when he did get kicked out for the G-string thing, which is weird. But that was after the movie was made, so they had made that up, and then the students copied it. Yeah. There is about 25% of any population, historically, that will gravitate toward authoritarian style leaders. Oh, yeah. So this principle is very Trumpian. Just the way that he was speaking is this arbitrary responses to things where sometimes he'd be mad at something and then he'd reward the exact same thing later. Exactly. And just like Trump's whole like core base won't ever really shift. It's because of that percentage. Well, it's because of racism, but it's because of that core percentage of the population like that just will gravitate toward an authoritarian mm -hmm. leader. Like Hitler still had a base of power. Yeah. Richard Nixon, when he was impeached, still had like 25 to 30% of people who <laughs> just loved him and were, were in his base. So it's not that if you're authoritarian leader or that you're using that type of power that everybody will necessarily hate you. Some people will gravitate toward you yeah. and like you. Like I can see that some people probably would have been at his defense. Some students would have been there, but mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been the whole school. Right. It, it would have been a small percentage. And overall, even though a small percentage will be a loyal following, 
it won't work over. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess back to pump up the volume. Yes. Uh, Maz responds, yo, Loretta, I'm already expelled. Don't you remember? You booted me out the first week for dress code, which we've already mentioned. And then Crescent says, then you're trespassing, trespassing. How'd you like to be arrested? Which I had to double check because he was in front of the school. Technically, you could probably charge him with trespassing because when someone has been expelled from a school, there's a specific ruling on that where trespassing is actually easier to charge them with. If they are anywhere near the school, if they go to a school event, like they aren't allowed to go to like a sports game if they've been expelled from the school. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. And so being on the sidewalk at the front of the school might count. And so, yeah, she could actually charge him. But she's also just threatening him because that's what she does. And he says, hey, that's cool too, you know. I told them cameras to wait. I've got lots to tell them. And Creswood says, who's going to believe anything you say? In the script, it says she is defiant, but she's worried about what he might say. Yeah. So, of course, she's using shame, belittling language. I mean, how many great artists, leaders, dreamers, kids who should be in school have we lost with this destructive, mm-hmm. belittling, shaming behavior? And Maz says maybe Harry might. Although, as far as I know, he doesn't contact Harry, but the last show is soon, so he might not have much time. In the script, Maz talks to Shep again, or tries to, but Shep ignores him. Uh, Emerson tries to stop Murdoch from taking down the bulletin board stuff, like the condoms, there's other things up there now in the script, because it's one of the few places they have to express themselves, the students. So, Emerson's still sticking up for the students. But in the film, we go to Nora dragging Mark into the art room to tell him the exciting news that the tall, smug Paige Woodward burned all up all her shit last night right after you suggested it in her kitchen. And Nora is really excited <laughs> about all this. The script says she thinks it's a great adventure. Her eyes gleam with excitement. No. <laughs> and she plays this, she plays this scene pretty well. Like she's really excited and he is horrified. And Mark says it's out of control. And then you get the PA announcement that says, Students are requested to inform their parents of an emergency meeting tonight with PTA and the school commissioner. In the auditorium, the staff is requested to stay behind to meet with Miss Crestwood and the vice principals. And this is when Mark says, that's it, it's over. I just hope it isn't too late. And he leaves. And Nora doesn't get it. And outside, as Mark is leaving, we get Eric and Doug again. They are now wrapping their own version of the Deaver mix that they just heard. So before with Mark here, and he says, I just hope it isn't too late. Mm. So kind of odd. It's like, so he didn't want to be in this position? Seems like he did. He's telling everyone, like, go crazy, get loud. So it's like, do you want people to do this? Do you not want people to do this? I think his go, his go, no more nice guy, that whole rant was impulsive. And he's regretting it, but I don't know why he's regretting it yet. Because it seems like... There's good things happening here, even at the school, with people, like, challenging the people in charge. But he's upset because there's... I'm not sure which part bothered him the most here. Yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) I was having a hard time figuring out why he was responding that way, especially since just a minute or two ago. He seemed like he was really enjoying it. I don't know. I wouldn't say really enjoying, but he was definitely amused. Yeah. He he was like, at first he's freaked out, but then he smiles at one point. He, He likes that something's happening. Or maybe it was supposed to be a nervous kind of smile. And his interactions with Nora are all so weird. Like, it seems like most guys would like, even from, like, an ego boost way, just 
that someone's that excited about like your well, yeah the script says that he's in this scene it uh, i forget the phrasing i didn't put in my notes is pretending to be nervous to hide like his horror at what she's saying which is weird because later he's nervous yeah. about talking to her here he makes eye contact with her and is like talking directly to her but later gets nervous again so it's it's inconsistent a yeah bit. but also in the moment you could take it as we don't we don't know what mark is thinking here even based on what he says that you hope it isn't too late hope it isn't too late for what is he going to go do one more broadcast and tell the students to get control of themselves because that doesn't yeah. and how's that going to work yeah yeah <laughs> like what is he going to go do uh we and it's interesting because in the next shot where he's out walking Shep Shepard is right there. We just don't mm. see him. So he probably walked past the news crew as well. So he knows what's up. Because they approach Eric and Doug behind him. And and this is where I said white privilege was going to come up. Because, as I said last time, Eric and Doug, they're the athletes. They got Letterman jackets. They're not going to get in trouble for this stuff. No. And they know how to play mm-hmm. it. They're the ones rapping, so Shep comes up and talks to them. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're clean cut, unlike Maz. Mm-hmm. Except then they immediately change their tone, and Eric says... uh Oh, we would never, li- we would never ever listen to trash like that. And Doug says, Doug adds, he's obscene, dude. And then Eric says, yo, mom. And they walk off. So, and they get, they, that's gonna work for them. All they gotta do is lie briefly and they're fine. Yeah. Now they're on the news saying it. It's on record. They don't even listen to that show. Yeah. And that's pretty fitting because that's what the, that power does. I mean, the jocks have power mm-hmm. in high school. So it's represented. Just lie. And they, don't really ever get in trouble. We know statistically, even when they shoplift or whether it's like sexual assault at parties, it's always just like, oh, well, boys will be boys. They're yeah. such good kids and it's fine. And they know that. So, yeah. And then we cut to uh intersection of Haskell Canyon and Bouquet Canyon in, Sa- in Saugus again. Mark is going to his P.O. box. Uh, I would point out the police car that passes, oh my god, this is where this movie falls apart in weird ways as this segment continues. Because the same cars are in the parking lot as they were in minute 37 when Mark went to his box before. So they filmed this all on the same day. That's fine. Yeah, they just have, don't have a huge budget. <laughs> right. But that was yesterday. Not complaining about huh. the cars. I'm complaining yeah. about Mark going back to his box. Yeah, the day after. You don't go every day to a box you're trying to keep secret. Yeah. <laughs> You go like once a week. That you're wearing sunglasses to hide. Yeah. Did he wear sunglasses to hide himself? He didn't get to that part because he stops as soon as he crosses the street. The police car's already passed. Police car passes. Um, it's a regular police car with a detective in a suit in the passenger seat and the driver's also in a suit. That doesn't fit. But they needed a police car for the visual for the movie. Okay, fine. Whatever. But the police car goes through a red light without its siren on. Almost kills two pedestrians crossing the street because they want to check a P.O. box for which they do not and definitely cannot yet have a warrant. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. It's a small town. We're going to let this outlandish behavior happen because that's how horrible it is. Okay, I can accept that. But then, Detective Denny starts to open his door before the car is even parked. (laughs) He's so eager. He's got to be unsafe. And we see the news van is there from same station, same station as Shep, but different reporter. Uh, a woman is inside already with her camera operator. And she asks the guy inside, is that box registered to a name? The postal clerk says, yes, of course that box is registered to a name, but I can't give it out to you. Denny at this point 
pushes the cameraman out of his way. <laughs> so that's how big important this is. And the, before he says, but you can to me and holds up his badge, which is not how that works. works. Yeah. Now I looked it up to check. Were this an actual post office and not this private place with boxes? And he wanted to claim exigent circumstances. He might be able to justify, to justify searching the mail. But he's not asking to look at the mail. He's asking for private information about the owner, which is information owned by the company, which he cannot have. Uh, but if it were an actual post office, Mark would have also had to prove his identity to, to apply for a PO box, which is why he got it here. The postal clerk responds, Yes, sir, I can do it for you. I will give it to you instantly. That box is rented to Mr. Charles U. Farley, 1122 Crescent. He says this with the reporter still standing there. So he's he's not only didn't wait for a warrant, he's giving the information to the person he just told he couldn't give the information to. But, while everyone else is doing their jobs badly in this entire segment, the teachers, the cops, the postal clerk, I would say this female reporter is the one doing her job well, because she immediately replies, that's the address of the school. She's paying attention. She knows things. She should also say, also, he doesn't have a warrant. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she's a reporter. Maybe she... She probably should know, but maybe she does. And I think she got the shit job of the reporting because Shep yeah. got to go to the school. She got stuck to wait at the postal thing and <laughs> find out something. Ugh. I do like one thing in the scene is that they use the line like it's Detective Danny says, "Hey, Chuck, you Farley," and the film doesn't explain the joke. No, just assumes we'll know. It just assumes yeah. we get it, which I like that. Yeah. And uh, so no one's doing their jobs well, but there's more. Because then in this segment, we also get to go back to the Hunter household as they're having dinner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mark has no drink. The parents seem to have tea. And we don't know if they have drink. I, it kind of looks like soup, but I guess it's tea. It, it had little which handles, which oh, I think okay. implies Then a I guess it was tea. Yeah. But with what? I don't know. Because on the father's plate, it looks like possibly some sort of rice dish. Yeah. Or oatmeal. Which is weird on a plate. <laughs> on Mark's plate, it looks like pancakes and s- like sliced tomatoes. Yeah, I thought maybe it was carrots, but they could have been a little big for. They look a little so maybe red. It's tomatoes. For carrots. It yeah. could, even if it's carrots, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, cutting. it was very weird. And then there's untouched bread in the middle of the table. Yeah. And randomly in the middle of the scene, the mother moves the dish from the middle of the table over to the counter, which is distracting because you don't move stuff between the camera and the action. And, during a scene. Right. And apparently they're all eating different things. <laughs> but yet, the only thing that's on the table is the untouched bread. And even though we yeah. see the background of the kitchen, none of that food is anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I guess we could say then that she probably made the food as the implication. So Marla's also not doing her job very well with the food preparation. But we'll get to the father doing his job badly in a moment, too. Ah, because then we have the news. In a follow-up to Monday's tragic suicide, we have a story on Paige Woodward, who was a senior at the same high school, who apparently at the urging of the pirate DJ, let me get a shot of Mark, set off an explosion in her family's home. We'll have the full story for you at 11. Then we get Marla being good at her job, because she, before that line finishes, she's already looking at Mark, and then she says, are you okay, Mark? Yeah. She's, she's just, she is a good parent. Yes. She might not be good at preparing food, but she's good at paying attention. And meanwhile, the TV announcers continue. Thank you, Hal, for the latest on that developing story. We'll get to the parents in a moment, because then the news says, on the local front, 
They were just talking about Paige Woodward at the local high, high school, school in a yeah. small suburb. And now they're now the local front, <laughs> which is more of the story about what's going on in Paradise Hills. So the transition sucks. But meanwhile, Mark says, "Don't worry, Mom. I'm not going to blow up the kitchen," which she says, "Very funny, darling." <laughs> which it is pretty funny. It's a good response. <sighs> yeah, I call the reporters fucking amateurs for that local front line. <laughs> now, Brian says. Listen to this. And he turns up the volume. They just finished the story on Paige Woodward. Yeah. They haven't said what the next story is. Now he turns up the volume and says, listen to this. Yeah. When she's a student at his school. Yeah. He wasn't listening. So as they change the subject, he turns the volume up. As if the actor knows what's coming next. (laughs) (sighs) Meanwhile, Brian is the school commissioner. He should be at the school Right. right now meeting with the principals and the staff to prepare for the PTA meeting that is tonight at 7. Instead of eating weird dinner and making psychic but, predictions about yes, that. he's at home predicting the news. <laughs> Everyone sucks at their jobs in this movie. Which I guess is, I guess it's fine for the 80s. It's like, I think I mentioned this before. It's like slasher films. Mm-hmm. All the adults are useless. And it's just more so in this segment. Oh my god. And the TV announcer continues, we have more recent reports on what, that, on that still anonymous radio operator. He's been charged with, but we don't get to hear what he's been charged with until next time. Yeah. It's all fine. (laughs) So, (laughs) since I'm a new movies by minute person and you've been doing this for a while, is this a common movies by minute thing that when you start breaking down movies minute by minute, you start to see so many things that you freak out about? Oh. Yeah, in two minutes by the time, there's a moment where they have this handheld camera that runs up the stairs. We're like, yeah. who's running up the stairs? There's no person in this scene. <laughs> it was just so random. But in the movie, you don't quite notice it because it's just mm. a few seconds. You slow it down. You're like, that's not right. And this stuff, the food. Who's going to notice this food when we're just watching the movie? No one. Yeah. But you focus and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and then Brian's like, well, listen to this. But then I'm paying attention to what the news person said. They just changed their story, which means he shouldn't say listen to this. Oh. Just bad timing all around. Yeah. So, in honor of that, I would like to promote today Mandy Sucks Minute, my podcast where, except for literally one minute of the movie, I complained about every single minute per episode and had a great time doing it and a horrible time doing it and rewrote the plot to make it better and don't complain about that because it was horribly negative and fun. You can find that on all your podcatchers and follow it on social media, although I'm not really posting anything anymore. You can find the old posts. They're probably fun. And you can listen to Life as a Playlist and follow my Life as a Playlist social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for music, social, and political commentary. We didn't have any music commentary in this episode, Mm -hmm. but... There's been quite a lot in this film that's been fun. (laughs) Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts out! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! And follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Bump up the minute. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. Talk hard!